often say, uh, never talk about religion or politics. Uh, and it kind of makes sense. If you want to uh, avoid pain and seek pleasure, uh, then you don't start talking about things which are deeply personal. Uh, because the, these, those sorts of conversations tap into our deeply held you know, values and beliefs. And so we defend them vigorously and equally uh, we argue against them passionately. And I think it's one of the reasons that online conversations often go so badly. Uh, because people are sort of injecting uh, these deeply held values, uh, but there's no sense of uh, filter or relationship or sort of shared trust. And so it all goes downhill very quickly. Uh, and when we feel uh, assaulted or threatened, then we, we have sort of one of three reactions. We either uh, fight back, uh, or we flee, uh, or we choke in the moment. And then uh, whatever the, our reaction, uh, we then sort of fixate on that for a, for a while after until we finally come up with that perfect response. Uh, those words that we should have said in the moment, except it's now 2am and the moment's all lost. Uh, but uh, so the safer thing uh, so often is, you know, just keep it to small talk. You know, we can talk about the weather, we can talk about the footy, we can talk about why Android's better than iPhone. And, you know, it's all a safe place. Maybe the last one isn't quite so safe. Uh, but, but the problem, of course, is as Christians, uh, we want to have significant conversations. We don't just want to talk about, uh, you know, the, the, the sort of basics of life. We want to talk about what really matters in life. Uh, but we don't feel there's much in the way of perhaps invitation or openness. Uh, but, of course, that's not completely true, is it? Uh, because even though we're often not willing to simply open up about how we feel about things, uh, we are all trying to work out life. We're all trying to work out in our own way uh, who we are and what life's about. And, and how is our life going to be significant? But perhaps even more significant than those feelings, uh, we need to recognise that actually... Uh, God is behind all of this, and God is preparing the way. And so sometimes we feel like God's sort of giving us the impossible jam jar. Okay, you, you know the one that no matter how much you, know, you heave and huff uh, and whack on the bench, this, this baby's never opening. Okay, and sometimes that, that's what we feel like in our conversations. As we come to people, that there's just no willingness. It's just never going to budge. Uh, but actually, you know, in all of this, you know, God's working behind the scenes in all sorts of you know, events and circumstances. And he's simply calling us to do our bit. Uh, and we might be at the end of the whole thing where we, we get to take the glory and, and you know, pop the jar and you know, feel quite good about ourselves. Uh, or we might be right at the beginning where we're just doing our little bit to loosen it. Uh, but wherever we fit, actually, it's God who's preparing the way. And so as we look at this passage today, it's really more about what God is doing and how God is choosing to work through uh, this guy, Philip. And so we go back a couple of chapters. Uh, Philip uh, and Stephen uh, were two of the guys who were chosen uh, to look after the distribution of food for widows in the, in the early Christian community. Uh, which sounds like a, a pretty mundane kind of responsibility, 
Um, but these guys were actually pretty impressive people. Uh, so last week we read about how Stephen uh, stood up in front of the, the religious and political establishment in the Sanhedrin uh, and gave this uh, defence of Christ. Uh, and the crowd, of course, was so outraged, they ended up dragging him out of the city and, and literally stoning him to death. Uh, and now we have uh, this man, Philip, uh, who is heading out into Samaria and doing all sorts of incredible things and telling people about Jesus. Uh, later in the book of Acts, uh, we're going to read how uh, Philip is described, described as Philip the Evangelist. Uh, so, so the root word for evangelist is just someone who proclaims news. Uh, but in the New Testament, uh, it's about someone who proclaims the good news of Jesus. Uh, and in fact, the word evangelist is only used three times in the entire New Testament. Uh, so it's sort of tempting to say, you know, uh, that I haven't really been given the gift of an evangelist. You know, we praise the Lord for those people who have. Uh, gosh darn, it's not me. Uh, but that's okay. Uh, I'll do my bit, you do your bit. Uh, and certainly it's true uh, that we haven't all been gifted to proclaim the good news of Jesus publicly, uh, in sort of a public forum. Uh, but we have all been called, as Christians, to proclaim the gospel personally. Uh, so there, there is no sort of fine print where we can sort of hand it off to someone else. Uh, if you are a Christian, uh, then we all, all have a part to play in talking about Jesus. And we see this sort of explicitly modelled uh, earlier in, in our reading. So in verse 4, right back at the beginning, those who have been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Uh, this is simply what Christians did. They told people about Jesus because they, they want to see people saved. And so there's this joy and this urgency behind their boldness. And now as they're scattered out sort of across the region, uh, they continue to do the same thing. And so the, the word of God continues to spread. And in amongst those people being scattered is Philip, who goes to Samaria. Uh, so for those who like uh, geography and topography, uh, and let's face it, who doesn't? Okay, we all love it, right? Uh, Samaria uh, is to the north of Jerusalem. Uh, but you go down to Samaria because uh, Jerusalem sort of sits at sort of a high point in the region. Uh, and so as the gospel goes out uh, to the north, uh, to Samaria, uh, the words of Jesus are being fulfilled. So Acts 1.8, if you've been with us every week, these words are sort of becoming very, very familiar. Uh, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So for those who like a good list and who like ticking off a list, uh, things are off to an impressive start. You know, Jerusalem, tick, Judea, tick, Samaria, tick, ends of the earth, well, that's coming soon in progress. Uh, and actually, in this passage tonight, we'll see those first steps of, you know, the word of God going to the ends of the earth. And it begins with this sort of coincidental event where Philip just happens to meet this bloke on the side of the road in the middle of the desert. Uh, except it's not really a coincidence at all. That this is all part of what God has prepared and planned. So uh, Philip uh, was down north, 
And then uh, an angel of the Lord tells him to go south. So verse 36, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, I don't know what an angel of the Lord looks like, but I reckon uh, he would be quite compelling uh, if he told me to do something. Uh, and really the point here isn't about uh, this incredible encounter. In fact, Luke sort of just passes right by. It's just sort of, again, just all sorts of incredible things are happening and this is just one more. Uh, but this angel says to, to Philip, I want you to go down to this road uh, and, and wait there. Uh, and at this point, uh, you, you recognise that again, God is working out his plan, that there's a man on that road, this Ethiopian eunuch, and God has plans to save him and to use Philip. So as Philip's sort of standing on the side of the road, uh, this chariot comes past uh, with uh, this Ethiopian official. Now, your chariot, you, you need to sort of take out of your brain a uh, gladiator, um, you know, in the Colosseum chariot, uh, sort of, you know, flying around uh, with, you know, sort of things on the wheels. Awesome, but different chariot. Uh, this is kind of more a cart, you know, with, with a covering that's sort of more plodding along, okay? So Philip doesn't have to sprint to catch up to the chariot, you know, as he's bolting along. Uh, it's moving on, you know, it's rattling along down the road. Uh, and, and here's this, this Ethiopian eunuch uh, who is reading as he goes. And so we know from this account uh, that he's uh, a significant official, he's, he's head of the treasury, uh, he's reading. Uh, so he is an educated, powerful man. Uh, I'm not sure if any male wants to go down in history as being remembered as a eunuch. Okay, so, uh, in defence of this Ethiopian official, uh, the word eunuch uh, can be about his place and position and title and authority uh, within uh, the royal court, uh, the Ethiopian royal court, uh, or it could be uh, a comment on his uh, you know, capacity to reproduce. Uh, but I'm going to go with the former, because I'm an optimist. Uh, but he is a wealthy official. Uh, we also know that he is a devout follower of God. Uh, so he has travelled from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to worship. Uh, and now he is sitting, reading uh, the book of Isaiah. And you don't just sort of pick up one of these scrolls at your local Christian bookshop. Okay, this, this takes serious commitment and influence and financial resources. And so with a bit more prompting, uh, Philip come, comes up beside the chariot and he asks him, uh, verse 30, do you understand what you are reading? And that question is the spark that starts a conversation. And so the official you know, invites Philip to come up and, and sit with him in the chariot and to talk about what he's been reading. And so he's reading from Isaiah 53. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And you would be pleased to know that even a smart guy like uh, this Ethiopian official uh, struggles to understand what this Old Testament prophet is talking about. Uh, and so he asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And so Philip starts where this guy is at. So this official uh, is already a worshipper of the God of Israel. 
Uh, he already takes the prophets seriously. He's already reading the book of Isaiah. And so that's where Philip starts. And he goes on to then explain, starting with this very passage of Scripture, verse 35, and told him the news about Jesus. So Jesus is the one uh, who is led like a lamb to the slaughter, who is deprived of justice. Uh, and we know from the book of Isaiah that he is deprived of justice for our sake as he pays the price for our sin. So just one verse earlier, he would have read, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I know what some of you are thinking, for those who grew up with Colin Buchanan. Uh, but we can also be confident, because uh, we've read you know, further and broader in the book of Acts, that the message would have in included a call to repent and to be baptised. Uh, so as an example earlier, Peter uh, said, repent and be baptised every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And repentance is more than just remorse. Remorse is kind of recognising you've done the wrong thing and feeling bad. Uh, but repentance is recognising that you've done the wrong thing, but then seeking forgiveness and actually turning away from who you were before. So it's more than just bad behaviour. It's about a misguided sense of identity, uh, which the Bible calls idolatry. So we find our identity in our abilities or our successes or our pleasures rather than the God who created us. It's about that much maligned word submission and being willing to submit to the authority of God. Uh, if you like it in legal terms, uh, it's about a breach of contract and forsaking the terms of our existence. I would put it in relational terms. It's about us turning our back on our relationship with the God who created us. But however you describe it, uh, there are consequences for our actions. And God calls us to be accountable. But he also offers forgiveness if we are willing to repent. Uh, but like any offer, it needs to be accepted, doesn't it? So God has come to us. Uh, the offer is there, but we are also called to respond and accept that offer. And this Ethiopian official, he gets it. So when, when he hears Philip speak, uh, he recognises uh, what the truth is, that Jesus really is the Son of God who really did pay the price for his sin. And so verse 36, they travel along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptised? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptised him. Uh, baptism uh, is a symbol of renewal. Uh, it's me saying that uh, I'm now a new person, uh, cleansed by what God has done for me, and I now give my allegiance to Christ. Uh, we often say that uh, baptism is a public declaration of our uh, faith and our belief. Uh, and that's certainly part of it. And one of the things I, I love uh, in our life together as a church is, is our sunrise uh, service, uh, where we go down to North Beach, 
uh, and we, we gather together and a number of our young people, uh, not always young, uh, are baptised uh, as, as a declaration uh, of who they are before Christ. Uh, but at the heart of it, it is public, it can be public, but actually it's more of a statement of, uh, between us and God. Uh, that it's sort of a physical reenactment of us coming to God and seeking to be cleansed and to recognise that we come uh, as renewed people because of his grace and mercy. Uh, so baptism is a sign of our salvation, uh, but it is not the means of our salvation. And by itself, it's just a symbol without substance. And so after this guy is baptised, our Ethiopian official, all of a sudden the, the account ends quite abruptly, doesn't it? You know, the, the, the spirit is present and uh, Philip is just swiftly taken away. Uh, we don't know whether it's a, a miraculous event uh, or, or he's just simply convicted by the spirit that it's time to go and it's time to go now. Uh, but the point is that God's work is done. Uh, God has led him to this point to this place in this road to meet with this Ethiopian man. And now God has more plans for this guy, for Philip, as he then heads north. Uh, and for the Ethiopian, what does he do? Well, he leaves rejoicing, going home. Uh, so what do we need to hear out of this passage? Uh, I think the first thing is we should take courage knowing that God is in control. Uh, we might feel woefully inadequate. Uh, for many of us, we, we don't feel we've got the words to speak. Uh, but God is bigger than our weakness, and God is bigger than their stubbornness. And so that's an important thing to remember. But we also need to see the obedience of Philip and his role in bringing this Ethiopian to Christ. So God chooses his people, but he also chooses to work through us as he gathers his people. Uh, for Philip, uh, you know, it's almost runway lights, isn't it? You know, he's, he's told every step of the way exactly where he should go, where he should stand, the chariot he should walk up to. Uh, and we would love it if that's how it worked every time. That would make life so simple. Actually, I'm sure we'd still find an excuse. Uh, but in this passage, it's really clear. Uh, I think that said, you know, often we don't have that type of clarity, but that said, we, we do sometimes have that really strong prompting from God's Spirit. You know, sometimes we just get that incredible sense of, I really need to call this person, uh, or I really just need to walk over and talk to that person over there. Uh, or perhaps it's a question, and there's just a particular question on your mind that you feel you must ask. And God chooses to use you know, that question to then have a, a deeper conversation. Uh, in this particular passage, you know, the, the question is actually pretty benign. You know, do you understand what you are reading? Uh, but God chooses to use that question to then open up a far more profound conversation that ends with this guy actually receiving life. Uh, but so often uh, it, it's not quite so clear. Uh, we don't know uh, who God wants us to talk to. We don't have a particular inspired word. And so we just have to keep you know, pushing on the doors and seeing what opens. And so I think there's four things we can do. I think we can pray for opportunities. Uh, we can look for opportunities. Uh, we can prepare ourselves for opportunities so that we've got words to say uh, if someone is 
uh, is asking. And we need to be bold when the opportunity arises. Uh, so boldness isn't just about stepping out when you feel strong. Uh, that, that's actually easy. Uh, when, when we feel strong, we feel confident, it's easy just to jump in. Uh, boldness is actually stepping out when we feel weak and when we feel vulnerable, but recognising that God is in control. And if you're in, in a situation where you end up getting absolutely and completely smashed, and it's a complete disaster of a conversation, uh, then take some comfort uh, from the experience of the apostles. So after Peter stood up in front of the Sanhedrin, he got literally flogged. And so he goes away uh, rejoicing because they've been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. So even when we fail, praise God uh, that we can stand up for our convictions. And certainly Paul is seeking the same boldness when he asks the Colossian church to pray for him. Uh, so in the words of Colossians, he says, And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Uh, last week, uh, some of us uh, went to the, the Gong Men's Day uh, up at Dapto, and uh, the speaker there, uh, Sam Chan, uh, had some, I think, really helpful insights about uh, conversations and, and how do we uh, be more intentional in how we have conversations about faith. Uh, so in the spirit of, you know, don't talk about religion and politics, uh, most of our conversations sit in the safe space, don't they? We talk about the footy, we talk about the weather, you know, the surf, that type of stuff. Uh, but as Christians, if we want to look for deeper opportunities, then, then the, I suppose the next step down in depth is when we start you know, talking about and asking questions about values. Uh, so values are things like how we view relationships, what we consider right and wrong, uh, what we consider important, uh, how we approach our work or how we approach the environment. Uh, and unsurprisingly, uh, these are far more personal conversations than the footy. Uh, and so they're also uh, a little more vulnerable, uh, a little more contentious. Uh, but these sort of value-type conversations uh, then also create an opportunity to go perhaps even deeper still, uh, to have conversations about worldview. Uh, these are our fundamental underlying beliefs that, that shape our values and how we view life. And so worldview questions are things like, who am I? Why am I here? What's true? How should I live? Where am I going? Uh, now, we don't tend to think in terms of these questions. Uh, you don't often sort of sit down and go, huh, haven't really thought about that lately. Uh, but we do live by the answers, whether we identify them or not. And so the challenge for us as Christians uh, is to look for opportunities, to have conversations and to ask questions that go beyond the small talk. Uh, and as we listen and hear about their values and their beliefs, uh, we have opportunities to talk about Christ and what we believe. And we have the opportunity to point people to the scriptures. Because uh, it's not just simply my view of God. Uh, it's what does God say to us through his word? How does God reveal himself to us? And then how do we speak that word into their lives? Uh, that's what Philip does. 
He starts with the word of God. Every single passage in Acts that we've read so far, where do people go? They go back to the scriptures. This is what the scriptures say about who God is and how he can be known. And so we are called to do the same thing. And you can't force a conversation. Uh, and we're not trying to sort of manipulate our conversations for our own personal agenda. But we can invite it. Uh, and we can pray that God will work through that conversation to open a person's eyes and open a heart to recognise who God is and to recognise that we need forgiveness and we need to repent and to recognise the Lordship of Christ. You know, God has plans uh, to save people from every corner of the earth. Uh, God's Holy Spirit is involved. Uh, God's Word is involved. And God's people are involved. And so if you're a Christian here tonight, then we're involved. Uh, we have a part to play in that plan, uh, which is a pretty daunting prospect, isn't it? Uh, but also kind of exciting uh, to think about how God might use us and our humble efforts to actually make a genuine difference in the world, uh, a genuine difference in someone's life that has implications not just for the present, but for eternity. And that God would choose to use us to be part of that. And so it starts with a willing heart. Uh, so let me pray uh, using the words of Colossians uh, that we might also have that boldness. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, I pray that you may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. I pray that we may proclaim it clearly as we should. Help us to be wise in the way we act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Amen.